Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter, and training camp is a wrap. It's over. The regular season now, right around the corner. I'm taping this on a Friday afternoon. Final cuts are coming this weekend, so the roster will be tweaked a little bit. But we know who the major pieces are on the roster now. These are just, you know, back end of the roster for the most part, shuffling and juggling. Guys that will play special teams, bit roles for the most part. Maybe somebody will end up, you know, in the starting lineup and playing a decent role at some point. But the guys that are on the roster now, those are the main guys. So we know what the Giants are going to become. We've seen throughout the summer what kind of team this is. So let's get straight into it. We're going to do a training camp review with a special guest. So let's go there. On to the next one. All right, let's bring in the Athletics Giants reporter, Dan Duggan, who's also on top of the Giants. He's out there with me every day, checking out this Giants team, you know, writing down notes, all these little nuggets. You can, you can read his nuggets. I think he had a, a training camp observations, a, a big overview that, that ran, I, I believe, on Friday. Is that correct? Did I have that right, Dan? That's correct, and I appreciate you plugging the competition. There you go. I mean, I, you know, it might cost me my job, but hey, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, I'm just joking. Uh, Dan, Dan's good at what he does, and uh, you know, we keep an eye on what he does as well. So, we want to get his opinion on. Also, we'll go we'll go back and forth here. Sort of like what's been most surprising to you, good and bad, things that leave us concerned. Really, do an overview of training camp here. Uh, we're taping this on Friday. The rosters will be shaken up in the next couple of days, but so we're gonna we're gonna kind of concentrate on the bigger picture stuff and guys that really are we we pretty much can be assured are gonna be around. So, most surprising player to you this summer has been blank. What do you got for me, Dan? I'm gonna go with Darnay Holmes. I mean, generally I'm skeptical about rookies. I'm more skeptical skeptical about day three rookies, and then even more so about rookies in the defensive backfield. Now, granted. I might just be scarred from watching, you know, the Giants' young defensive backs in the last couple of years. Um, but Holmes has really impressed me. Um, you know, I know it's training camp, so I always have to kind of keep that in mind. But that slot corner position was a major weakness. Um, and, you know, really going back to the DRC days. But he stepped right in there from day one. And he's got challenging matchups every day. You know, obviously Golden Tate and, and Shepard see some time in there. Uh, and he's held his own. I mean, you just can't ignore the fact that he seems to always be around the ball makes plays, kind of plays with that kind of confidence and swagger you expect to see from a good cornerback. So I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, all roses once the real season starts. I'm sure there'll be some growing pains. But in terms of a, a pleasant surprise um, in training camp, if a, if a day three draft pick is ready to start and make an impact uh, at an important position from day one, I think that's something that uh, is certainly a pleasant surprise. Yeah, no doubt. Holmes has been impressive. I mean, his role is clearly going to be in the slot. And uh, that was a, a spot that you can tell Joe Judge and the Giants were very intent on improving because not only do they draft Darnay Holmes, they draft Xavier McKinney, who basically is going to be used in that role a little as well. And then even when McKinney gets injured, they said, well, we need to fix that role. So now we're going to go out and sign Logan Ryan, who's sort of that nickel slot safety kind of guy. So they're very – they were looked at the roster – that they were inheriting, especially this new coaching staff, and said, we need to fix that spot. And Darnay Holmes is one of the big answers to that. And I agree with you on that. But my guy, I'm going to go with uh, Evan Ingram. And we know what Evan Ingram brings to the table, but let's be honest, 
you're talking about a guy who now has been banged up and has an injury history. He was coming off surgery. So I thought, you know, I, I didn't know really what to expect from Evan Ingram. I didn't expect him to come in and look as good as he has, uh, you know, back to running like he was before, being it, what it looks like uh, as big a part of the offense as he was before, uh, especially straight off this injury. I expected them to sort of bring him along slowly. So I think it's kind of an optimistic sign when you look at it and say, all right, full speed ahead with Evan Ingram. No, you know, there's no, there's no delay here. There's no, oh, he's still coming back from injury part, you know, serious foot injury that basically – Knocked him out, what was the last four games or so? And on top of that, you know, half his offseason was ruined. So uh, he didn't come back rehabbing. He came back and was immediately part of the action. So I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by that. And uh, I think he's going to play a humongous part in the offense this year. Agree, yeah. agree with uh, Evan Ingram looking good this summer? Yeah, I mean, like we always bunch of chops because you're definitely, uh, you know, leading the Evan Ingram uh, fan club. But, no, I mean, he – Well, Dan, let me tell you. Let me tell you. This is why, okay? If I sit here and tell you and then do the rah-rah Evan Ingram and say this is the year every year he's going to break out, I'm playing the odds here because one of these years <laughs> he's going to break out, okay? So, if I, keep no. throwing that, if I keep throwing that chip out there, I'm going to hit it one day. I promise. No, absolutely. And I will say to your point, uh, as a good one, is you didn't even really think about the injury. I mean, I think coming into camp, I, I probably had the same reservations, but after watching them day in and day out, there was not like, oh, he's lost a step, or I think even probably more concerning would have been, oh, they're giving him every third day off. They're really managing his reps. I mean, they all the top players aren't going to, you know, play as many reps as the undrafted rookies and, and scrimmages and stuff like they sat him and out the uh, kind of the big inter-squad scrimmage. But yeah, you're right. He, he They weren't managing him. He looks every bit as explosive as he did before the injury. I guess I'm just a little more like, let's see if he still looks as explosive in, you know, mid-November. Because that, that's right, sort right, of been right. the issue. He's The talent is not the question. It's just the durability. So I'm, I'm sort of in a – he's going to need to show me a little deeper into the season. Because, yeah, he definitely has looked really sharp during camp. For sure. I think, I think you're right. I think the, the only time they actually held him out pretty much of anything was that scrimmage. Like, I don't even remember a day where he didn't partake in, in live team drills. You know, like right. the – they really did not hold him back. You know, it could be like Joe Judge saying, "Okay, you got to prove to us that you're tough." And and but uh, and if that was the case, and he seemed to have passed the test so far, at least. So, like you said, we'll see. We'll see in November if this is the year that I finally get that one right. But who knows? <laughs> so next, let's do most disappointing to you throughout training camp was. Oh, disappointing is an interesting way to put it because I, I can't say I had really high hopes for the number two corner role, but I guess it's maybe more from a, a team perspective. It's a little disappointing that they're seemingly going into the season with that as a huge question mark. Um, you know, obviously there was circumstances beyond their control with DeAndre Baker, you know, Sam Beal opting out, nothing you can do there. They tried to address it with Ross Cockrell. That obviously fell through. So it's not as if they've been totally sitting on their hands. They tried to address it, but, you know, now here we are, you know, a little more than a week away from the opener. And I don't know. I mean, is is I can't even pronounce the guy's name. <laughs> I haven't looked into him that good that much yet. Mike, Mike. Oh yeah, I'll call Mike. All right. So is that guy coming in? He's he's gonna be a starter, you know, week one and, and match up with Juju uh, Smith Schuster at times. Is gonna be Corey Valentine, who we've seen have a, a very rough camp. Is gonna be Brandon Williams, a guy who you know wasn't even in the league last year. Uh, that's I mean that's Let's a be honest, hugely important. Be, I, I watched that scrimmage the other day. It can't be Brandon Williams. Okay? <laughs> I think he got called for three defensive pass interferences in about you know a, a scrimmage that probably equates to a half of a football. So 
Uh, yeah, but Brandon Williams is out there starting for the Giants in week one. You might as well just roll back the tape on Antonio Hamilton last year. Yeah, fair enough. He did He did send me to football reference to try to remember Brandon Dixon's name. So it, it brought back memories of the end of the 2017 season. But, um, but yeah, Brandon so, Dixon, I mean, just, he's, he's, he clicked with Odell, though. <laughs> that's all it takes sometimes. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that, that spot to me is, is a glaring weakness. And I know people – um, when they brought Logan Ryan and it helps the secondary. It doesn't help that spot, in my opinion, at all. I mean, maybe he sees some snaps out there, but you didn't give Logan Ryan, you know, potentially $7.5 million to play basically out of position. I mean, he, he was a very good slot guy last year. He views himself, you know, more as a safety, like you said, that McKinney role. He didn't come out here to go run with guys who run 4 40s, 40 yards downfield. That's not his game. And I think if they use him there, that would be kind of misusing, uh, you know, his assets. So, they need to figure something out there. I don't know if it's a, a waiver claim. I don't know if it's another trade or if they feel like the guy from Denver will go with Ike there until we, until we get the pronunciation, if they just feel like he was miscast there. But uh, I think that's a, a huge question mark. And the fact that it's it's still so much up in the air uh, going into the season, that, that's a pretty big concern for me. Yeah, just to clarify, if anyone doesn't realize who we're talking about, Ike is uh, the cornerback the Giants traded for from the Denver Broncos this week. I believe his name is Isaac Yadin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. We'll find out in the next few days. But he's he's not even with the team yet, and we're taping this on Friday up to this point. He hasn't been on the field with them yet. So uh, if he then has to come in and the Giants don't get back on the field, what, till Monday? So he would have like a week to, to get caught up and get on the field. If he's their starting cornerback after one week, that's also another red flag. We could, we could say that right there. Now, I'm going to be a little more specific with, with who kind of disappointed me this summer. And, yeah, we're going back to this cornerback position. But it's Corey Ballantyne, right, in specific, because that job was there for Corey Ballantyne to win. He was the guy. He, was, he has the physical talent, and I think that's what everybody sits there and says, look at this guy. He, he has the size. He has the speed. This guy could be a starting cornerback. And I think it was right there saying, okay, Corey, sixth-round pick from last year. Last year, we understand you're coming from Washburn, big jump. Now go out it, got there. It's your opportunity to go out there and win a starting job in the NFL this year. And I will say this. I kind of would say he's probably going to end up starting when, when all's said and done, right? I mean, I don't know, unless like we, you know one of these guys comes in real quick and gets thrown in the mix. But – it's not, in my opinion, because he went out there and won the job and totally earned it because the Giants are out there now looking for other options. Uh, they even yeah. tried to sign Ross Cockrell at some point. So let's not pretend like he won the job if he's going to be out there week one because the Giants surely are out there looking for cornerbacks. They traded for this Yadam. They tried to sign Ross Cockrell. Uh, who knows what other moves are upcoming. And by the time this actually publishes, how many other cornerbacks the Giants might have on their roster. So. Uh, yeah, Corey Ballantyne struggled badly. I mean, there was days a couple of days ago where he was just getting torched by everyone. Darius Slayton was running by him, uh, and I don't know, just hasn't hasn't inspired a lot of confidence in me, Dan. Uh, where do you stand on Corey Ballantyne? Yeah, I mean, that's why I just went with that position as a whole, like organizationally, because to the point you you know just kind of glossed over. We were talking about a sixth round pick from a D two school, so maybe he shouldn't have been thrust into that position. And again, there was they. They, they're on, like, plan D there because they went into the offseason, you know, thinking, hey, DeAndre Baker, he'll straighten himself out. Obviously, that was a miscalculation. Uh, Sam Beal, you think, all right, well, he's the guy we used a third-round pick on, hadn't seen much from, but you would think he'd be next in line. Yeah, at least, then, uh, he, at least think about it. At least Beal, Baker, and Valentine gave him, okay, one of the three 
<laughs> show up, can show up and play well enough to you know throw in there and be a second starter, and we can help him out. But then ends up being two to three aren't there for very right. different reasons. And then I thought, I thought the Cockrell you know attempted acquisition made a ton of sense. I mean, he was here a couple of years ago. We know he's just like a pretty solid guy. He's a pretty solid player. He's not going to make the Pro Bowl, but you kind of just hold that spot down with like a, a reliable veteran. And then when he fell through, I don't know, you know, there was other guys out there. I think maybe they just felt like it wasn't worth it. They wanted to give Valentine a shot. But, I mean, no, to your point, he, he did not have a very uh, good camp, did not inspire much confidence. And if he's a starter in week one, I don't expect him to be the starter in, you know, week three or four, you know, unless he really just turns it on when, when the lights come on. Think about how weird the Cockrell thing is in general. He, still, he, he, he bailed out on what was an alleged deal. And he's still sitting out there now, right? I mean, he, he never he never heard his name like pop up anywhere else. I wonder, like, if he wants to play or like, because like now, he, once you get to week one, right, then he won't even be guaranteed money anymore. So I mean, very very weird in retrospect if you think about that. Yeah, no, I think when that broke down, you thought maybe oh he's gonna pop up, you know, visiting the Bengals the next day or something. You know, the yeah, agent exactly. got a better offer, and it, that never happened. So yeah, you say like even if it was a minimum deal, and they tried to squeeze a few more bucks. I mean. At his stage in his career, like a million dollars is better than zero, which is what he's doing right now, right? So it is it is a little surprising that he's just uh, you know, kind of hanging out in the street and, and didn't have a you know, turned down a chance to, to be a number two starter, presumably over, you know, a few bucks. Yeah, week week one, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants didn't solve their cornerback problem. If after week one, you know, Prince Mukamara gets a call and they yeah, you at least have a veteran who could play on the outside and then they'll throw him in there real quick and, and try try and get something out of that and you could use his physical skill set to their advantage. Um, so let's go to what everybody, you know, if, you, if you're talking big picture and you're talking about the Giants, you always come right back to this, right? Daniel Jones. Where does he stand? Is he going to cure the fumbling? And what I've learned from watching this entire summer is that I'm not sure if we could really answer that question until he gets into real game action, right? I mean, I mean – Everything we've seen this summer, like, yeah, it's nice and it looks good, but, like, you know, d- d- does that mean that he's going to get under fire and face live bullets and all of a sudden be more comfortable in the pocket? So the same questions, after, even after watching Daniel Jones this summer, I pretty much leave with the same questions about him now. Where do you stand on Daniel Jones and his progression, Dan? Yeah, no, 100%. That's what I was going to say. And I, I will say the thing that – uh, really made a lasting impression in a bad way was, you know, the first time he was in any sort of a, a game setting. He's still in the red jersey, you know, couldn't get he hit. Still couldn't the, be uh, hit, little... though. You still <laughs> couldn't hit him. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, the, that's the deal, you're, you're, what you're dealing with. So he knows he can't be hit, and yet he still got strip sacked. I mean, that's, that's troubling because, again, we've spent all offseason, I think everyone on the beat has written some feature or another about his dedication to it, how he's gone about doing it. I believe he's extremely hardworking and diligent and smart and all that type of thing. So the fact that with all of that being said and all that work being done, that it still, you know, seems to be an issue. Again, it's one play in a scrimmage, who knows, but there's plenty of evidence from last year. It wasn't the blind side though. It just, it just there's a, there's a lot of it about it that just one that just bothers you. You know, right, right. it wasn't blindsided. It was right in front of him. He should see that he should feel it. He didn't have the two hands on the ball, which he's been preaching, right? All these things. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that that's the part that just kind of nods at me because I'm I'm bullish on him long term. Like I think I think John Mario, no, maybe it's Gettleman said, you know, he's gonna be a fine quarterback, and I think that's a completely accurate statement. He's gonna be a fine quarterback. The question is, is he gonna be a good quarterback, a very good quarterback, a great quarterback, 
And, and we really can't answer that, obviously, at this point in his career. And again, even as far as just this season, we need to see him get out there with live bullets because he, I mean, he throws a nice ball, uh, you know, made some great passes in camp. I think he had some up and down days in camp. I, you know, maybe that's partly learning the new offense. And, you know, obviously this has been a challenging offseason on that front. I think there were, there were times where he seemed a little indecisive, but again, it's camp. I mean, you're working all this stuff out. So I think the I last thing he did a lot of interceptions though. I mean, I, the, as I'm sitting here jogging my memory, like right. the interceptions were down. I mean, it wasn't like a high number. Like that, that, that to me, I don't think is a, is going to be a huge problem with Daniel Jones. It wasn't a ridiculous last year, and I don't, I didn't see anything this summer that would tell me otherwise. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think if you look back in his rookie year, like the throwing the football aspect of things, he was really good at. You know, I mean, he didn't throw a lot of interceptions. He threw a lot of touchdowns. He, you know, he had a pretty good completion percentage. It's just the pocket stuff and the ball security that you know obviously was the you know tantamount issue of the off season. And again, it's one play from a scrimmage, but it, it just eats at you. You want to see you go out in Monday Night Football and, you know, with T.J. Watt screaming around the corner, he shows a little better, you know, pocket presence. And even Joe Judge in that mic'd up thing said, you know, like a sack. We don't want a sack, but it's not the worst thing. Like, let's right. see if he just shows that little bit of development or uses legs. I mean, he can run a little bit. So uh, that's, that's the thing the jury is still totally out on, and it's, it's really going to be the biggest focus of him. You know the interesting too. part with Daniel Jones is and you brought it up, like, he has those legs. It's almost like he doesn't use them enough. Like, yeah. he has too much confidence in the pocket. And it comes back to, like, bite him in the butt a lot of times. Like, you just can't sit there. You need that clock. Like they say, you're supposed to have that clock in your head. Like, Pat Sherman right. had, like, too much confidence in there. Like, yeah, yeah, just stay, stay in there, Daniel. Take your teeth. <laughs> get your, your teeth kicked in. You know, and make the – and sometimes he made amazing throws under pressure. But the downside is you're putting yourself in danger. And so – Yeah. No. Got to no, be I a middle ground. Yeah, I mean, his, his fearlessness is probably one of his biggest strengths because, as you mentioned, there's plenty of throws where he stood in there, got smashed in the face and made a great throw, I think, off the top of my head. Late in that Bears game, I think it was fourth down. It was like a jailbreak, and he lofted the ball to Tate and, you know, yeah. the guy in his face. The throw um, he made blatant against his body, against the the, the Bucks to me. Yeah, so that's – I think – you know, I, I can't remember if I was talking to his trainer or just someone else, you know, some quarterback kind of guru this offseason. And, and the one th- point they Anthony made – maybe Bo- just, Anthony Boone. Probably. <laughs> Maybe it was his trainer because it was certainly taking the optimistic view, but it's like I can coach a guy. It was, you know, it was, it was Cutcliffe. I can coach a guy who has that mindset to be smarter and safer and, and, and that. I can't coach a guy who's afraid. And that's an interesting point. Like Daniel Jones is not afraid. It's almost point. to his detriment. It's to his detriment sometimes because he stands in there when, you know, 300-pound guys are in his face and, and trying to rip the ball out of his hands. But that's what Jason Garrett's here for. That's what Chaplinski's here for is we got to harness that and we'll see, you know, how good a job they do it on that front. Yeah, Shaplinski has sort of a resume as a, you know, a, a young coach, uh, a young quarterback builder also. Like, he's, he was the one that his job was to, like, all right, you go, you know, build up Jacoby Brissett and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So, uh, to have him with Jason Garrett, I, I think that's a pretty good combination right there for the Giants. At least their track record of dealing with young quarterbacks is pretty good. I mean, say what you want about Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, you're talking about mid to late round picks that built themselves into, you know, NFL starters. So, right, and then Garrett did good. it with, you know, Romo and, and Dak. And, yeah, I guess Chaplinski doesn't get too much credit for the uh, the starter in New England for most of the, his time. No, he's yeah, I pretty, think he's I pretty good. I'm giving him, like, oh, all right, you you know, he helped uh, build up Tom Brady, but I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's going to put that on his resume either. That's a, that's a little tough right there. <laughs> but, so we're talking about Daniel Jones and, you know, his, his ability in the pocket and his you – know, all this stuff. So it ties directly into the offensive line, right? Uh, 
the better the offensive line, the better it will be for Daniel Jones, the better it is for his pocket presence. So where do we stand on what this offensive line is going to be this year? I don't think it's a secret. We're looking at Andrew Thomas as the left tackle, right? Will Hernandez as the left guard. Center, still a little bit up in the air, but I think, um, you know, Nick Gates or Spencer Pulley, it's going to be one of those two. And you got Kevin Zeitler and then Cam Fleming, right? So those are the primary pieces the Giants have. Where, what did you see this summer from that group? I'll say this. This is going into my fifth year on the beat, and this is the fifth consecutive offseason where it's been declared in the summer that the offensive line is fixed or improved or better. <laughs> and so, again, you know, you have to bear with me and yourself. We've covered this team for a long time. We have not covered a lot of, you know, the glory years. So I am uh, sort of – the skepticism is sort of built into me because I'm, I'm following – And even more so, we haven't co- – I, have, I honestly have not covered one good offensive line. Like maybe yeah, one so. year they were average when they, they had like – uh, you know, Jeff Schwartz and, and when he was first signed in Pew and Richburg, young Richburg. And uh, like that was, like I think, their best offensive line of the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years at this point. Because <laughs> it's, it's wild to think the one playoff year the starting tackles are Flowers and Hart. So, I mean, it, I guess it shows that you can get by with uh, a mediocre line and still win some games. But, no, I mean, this line, I don't, I don't think I'm as optimistic as a lot of people are. I mean, there's – I think the guards are fine. I think, you know, Zeitler is sort of Mr. Reliable. You know, Hernandez, it was sort of weird that he had that, you know, step back last year. And it's funny because everyone wants to blame Hal Hunter. It's like, well, how do you explain him having a pretty good rookie year while, while coached by Hal Hunter? I think, you know, sometimes it's, it's on the players. Sometimes it's, there's a lot of factors. Um, right. That's the other thing. I'm not worried about the guards. I think, you know, you're going to at least get league average play, if not better. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the guards the, is the uh, strength of that line. There's no, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. The other three spots to me are, are very questionable. I mean, not Andrew Thomas long term. I mean, everyone you talk to, he was, you know, very valid fourth pick and has a lot of potential and, and, and is pretty NFL ready, but he's a rookie left tackle. So for this season, there's probably going to be some growing bands and, and that's to be expected. I mean, just look back in history, how many left tackles come in, start at day one and are just dominant forces right out of the gates. It, it takes a little time usually. So um, I think, you know yeah, what I think, I, I think you should remember on that part too. Uh, Eric flowers comes in. He's not necessarily supposed to play left tackle his rookie year. Okay. Right. He's supposed to play right tackle. But Will Beatty tears his pec or, wasn't it? Yeah. His pec or bicep, whatever, uh, lifting weights in the spring. So all of a sudden, Eric Flowers now has to play left tackle. And he show, he's okay. He's probably a bottom, easily bottom half of the league left tackle his rookie year. But everybody's optimistic about him because, okay, he showed toughness. He was okay. He's going to improve year two. But, you know, that's the thing. All he had to do was be somewhat close to average, and that was like a successful left tackle. Now, I do see some parallels in that Andrew Thomas, not, not as a player, but just the situation. Yeah. Andrew Thomas now, he's supposed to probably play right tackle. All of a sudden, something happens, not an injury. This time it's an opt-out. This is a crazy year. Now he has to go play left tackle, which is a tough thing to do as a rookie. Now, all you're hoping for is similar to Eric Flowers. Just show us enough, right, that people can be optimistic about you moving forward. <laughs> right. Well, let me walk people back off the ledge, though, just to make sure. Like, he's not similar to Flowers in, in too many categories. You're talking situations because, I mean, I think his, his makeup uh, is, is a lot better than Flowers. And yeah, I absolutely. think he's got a much, much higher ceiling. I think but, yeah, to your point. His, tech, his technique is already way advanced past what I think Eric Flowers yeah. was at this time, for sure. Right. So, but, yeah, I get your point. But Flowers, remember, he had technique issues coming out, and there were people who, had, who, who thought he had major flaws in his technique that, that wouldn't get fixed because he had a – a really good 
offensive line coach in college and it never got fixed there. Right, right. But so yeah, so with Thomas, I mean, I think he'll be he'll be fine. Like I don't think he's going to be you know Eric Flowers, but I don't think he's also going to be you know Jonathan Ogden in year one. Yeah. Um, right tackle, I've been the one who's kind of been pretty skeptical of Cam Fleming. I thought it was odd during the offseason when people were talking about him as potentially starting when you thought Solder was in the fold. I mean, you know, Nate Solder has started like a hundred and something games. He was going to start. Like <laughs> Cam Fleming's yeah. bounced around a little bit. He's been a backup. He's been serviceable when he steps in. But usually when you get to year seven, if nobody's ever deemed you worthy of being a starter, you're not all of a sudden going to unlock this like all pro that's been under everybody's noses. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he'll be. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Okay, and he could be serviceable, like Mike Remmers level type player, probably. Like I don't know, I don't know why there's so much confidence in him just based on his track record. I mean, you could say he's been on a backup on some good offensive lines potentially, so maybe you know he was blocked from becoming an everyday starter. But I just, I just go by guys' track records a lot. When you've been around the league, usually if you're you know worth being an everyday starter, you, you know you get signed by somebody, you get paid like you are one, and and that really hasn't happened. But I mean, again, he could be a stopgap like Remmers. And then centers. Wait, wait, wait. So, which brings me, which brings me to what I was thinking as we're, you know, and as the summer went along here, you have a rookie on one side, and really a guy who's been a swing tackle most of his career on the other side. What makes us think the Giants aren't going to have, a, you know, a bottom five, bottom ten tackle combination this year? I mean, isn't that isn't that where they're basically headed and destined? I mean, it feels that way. I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of fans are just like anybody but Solder. And then I think back to that Jets game last year when Solder left with a concussion like midway through the second quarter and Eric Smith went in and you quickly realize, okay, maybe Nate Solder's not that bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? There is always someone worse on the bench. I think the expectation is always, well, the backup, yeah, he's going to be better. And then usually they get in and you're like, oh, he's a backup for a reason. Now, I'm not saying Cam Fleming is going to come in and and perform like that. I'm just saying they went into this offseason thinking you had Solder you know, high hopes that he would at least, you know, bounce back to sort of his, 
you know, median level uh, after he really bottomed out last year. And obviously, you know, we're not going to get to see that. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see the tackles as a huge upgrade. You know, I, you know, they weren't good last year, and they, they could be better this year and still be, you know, a bottom 10 tackle duo just because they really um, struggled last year. And then just to get the center, I mean, I think that there's definitely high hopes for Gates. And I think if it's even, which, you know, Judge said a week ago, I would give him the nod unless mentally he just can't do stuff because you do have a young quarterback and at least Pulley, you know, um, you know, has some experience. And then you have T.O. to the mix, which, you know, I don't think he's going to contend to start right out of the gates, but I think it it helps to, you know, maybe have another veteran there, either to keep him on the roster and cut Pulley or, you know, put P.O. on the uh, practice squad. Whatever they do there, uh, you need to have some experience, uh, you know, behind gates if he is going to be the starter. Yeah, for sure. So, you know it- – it, it creates the dilemma of, okay, where is the Giants offensive line again this year? And brings us back to, okay, and I think this is where we're headed this year, finally. I mean, we, we thought it was going to go this way. You have this offensive line. It's still questionable. You have Saquon Barkley, you know, the offensive line at least being questionable, especially in that pass blocking side. What's the best solution? Run Saquon Barkley. Like, I think this offensive line, those guys you just named, are probably all maybe a little better against the run than they are as pass blockers. So why not pound Saquon Barkley, pound Saquon Barkley. And in a way it'll help you mask the overall offensive line pass blocking deficiency. So I I really do think that this is where we're finally headed. We thought Pat Shermer was going to do it, right? I mean, (laughs) every year I went into the year, like he's, they're just going to pound Saquon. Like their offensive line is a bunch of, you know, road grading, uh, run blockers, they're going to pound Saquon, pound Saquon. And then they got into the – you have a rookie quarterback, and then he went out there and fl- slinging around the yard 40 passes for, for, Dan, you know, for Daniel Jones. And you're like, whoa, what the heck? I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect it to go that way, but th- that's where they were. So, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it sounds like a good plan. Like you said, we thought of the last two off seasons, then you, you get into a game. Like, I think that Philly game, it might have been two years ago now, they start to run together, where Saquon just went off in the first half and then had, like, five carries in the second half as they blew that game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Garrett has a track record of, of kind of feeding his workhorses. Uh, I wouldn't think he'd get away with it now that he, you know, arguably has the most talented running back he, he's ever coached. So uh, I would be very surprised if Saquon is not the focal point of the offense. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I picked him to have, what, 2,500 yards or something? <laughs> yeah, just, just a light 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't get 2,500 yards? <laughs> hey, if you're going to go big, you, you know, if you're going to go bold, you go bold. You know, you, know, you, don't, come, you don't come up short and you don't wuss out. If you're going to go big, you better go big. That's how, that's how I view it. So that's why, you know, 2,500 yards. Let's, here we go. Saquon. <laughs> sure. So we haven't talked that much about the defense as a whole. Right, it has a lot of these guys. We saw them all this summer, and I and I've been impressed that Jabril Peppers could have been a guy that I, you know that played that I mentioned surprised me. He played really well this summer. Again, I want to see it in the games with him, but there's a lot of guys like that in that level. Okay, decent starters. Can they develop into more? Dexter Lawrence, uh, O'Shane Zimenez, Lorenzo Carter. Been waiting on that a few years. Uh, Jabril Peppers. Um, I mean, is anywhere else I'm missing? No, I think I think you covered. I mean, there's a lot of like you say, kind of solid guys that they need to take the next yeah. step. I, I'll say so this, pick, I feel – Pick the guy. Pick the guy. Which guy in Dan Duggan's, you know, prediction machine makes that jump and you say, okay, after this year, that guy's, a, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber player finally. 
Man, if I had to go based off what I saw in camp, maybe not Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl might be gone. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not going to say sit here and say, "Oh, Shane Zimenez is Pro Bowl caliber guy." Like, right. That's that's a that's I jumped too far for a guy like that, right? Right. I mean, I think I think the guys you they need to see take jumps all had good camps, like you know Peppers and Lorenzo Carter and Leonard Williams. Like all three of those guys have really good camps. You notice them a lot. But if I had to say the guy who's probably most primed to make that jump, I think I'm going to go with Williams because it's funny. Listen, I've banged on that trade as much as anybody. At the end of the day, though, whatever they invested in him, what they're paying him, doesn't take away from the fact that he's a quality player on the field. You know, I know the Jets fans, you know, you know, they look at him like he was Eric Flowers or, you know, that caliber of player. But he made a Pro Bowl there, and, and he's, he's a quality player. He just doesn't get the sacks, and that drives you crazy. And especially with what the Giants have invested, you want to see some sacks. But I don't think it's – out of the realm to think he could get, you know, six or seven stacks. I mean, he's done it once in his career. He does get close as much as that drives people crazy. <laughs> and I think he's, I think he's had a, a good camp. I think they have a pretty, you know, good front. I think he's going to be good against, I think they're going to be very good against the run. I don't think that's any question about that. Yeah. And I think that they, they really need him um, to be a presence against the pass. I think the way they're going to, you know, play their defense where they're going to have a ton of defensive backs on the field and linebackers, you know, he might be the only lineman out there a lot of times in passing situations, so I think he's going to have opportunities. Um, so if you have to pick a guy, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, hint, I think hint, he's hint, the guy. Hint, hint. Fire <laughs> <Harder> to watch. <laughs> exactly. We've learned to get creative in, in how we report on practice. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I'm not going to go there with Leonard Williams. To me, like, year six, you kind of are what you are at this point. Uh I know some people think he stinks. He doesn't. I, 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 that's just not realistic. So, yeah, is he a guy who's like a quality player, you know, three, four, five sacks? I, I think that's probably what his average year is, and that's, you know, what he'll, what he'll end up being. But I don't see him popping and becoming something he hasn't been the first five years of his career. So, to me, I think the guy, the, the guy to me that kind of takes that next step is, is Dexter Lawrence. I mean, he was a good player his rookie year uh but he's going to be a, a dominant player this year in my mind now is it in a limited capacity uh yes it is is he going to be out there and nickel pass straight pass rush situations no he's probably not he's 350 pounds he's not going to be that pass rusher so is he going to be an all pro and pro bowler probably not but can he be like a snacks kind of player or like a linville joseph type player where those guys are really good players in this league, not just like average players. Like I, I honestly think that that's where Dexter Lawrence is headed. I mean, he can push the pocket. He can. He just makes plays against the run. He moves well for a guy his size. He's he to me. He's just he looks like he's a really good player, and, and like couldn't be one of the best players at his position in the league. So uh, yeah. that's 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 my guy. To, that's my guy to pop. Well, I think, you know, our answers speak to what should be the strength of this defense, thing. Because I think we're, you know, both zeroing in. And they got some quality players there. Dallin Tomlinson's another solid player. And even B.J. Yeah, Hill. Solid player. You know, he's a starting caliber player in the NFL for sure. Right. And you can't say that. Every, you know, you go around the, kind of around the horn there. There's some question marks that, you know, there aren't necessarily starting caliber players. I think that the first three guys in that defensive line are all good, solid players. Like I said, they'll be very good against the run, and then you need, whether it's Lawrence or whether it's Williams, the Giants better hope one of us is right, because they need some pass rush, you know, up front from those guys. All right, so let's wrap up here. I agree with you on that. I mean, the defensive line, for sure, is is 100% the, the strength of that defense, and they're going to, you know, live and die on on their success. So, but let's wrap up now. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go with a couple questions for Dan Duggan, the athletic 
Giants reporter? Is that how you refer to yourself, or a Giants beat writer? Or what, 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 what terminology do you use? <laughs> I guess beat reporter. That works. Okay. So the Giants beat reporter. He previously was at NJ.com, covered Rutgers first, mm-hmm. and then came over to the Giants. So you have – were you there for Shiano? No, I, I was right in the, the heart of like the memorable Kyle Flood era. Okay, so you were there for Kyle Flood. You came to the Giants. You had McAdoo. You had Shermer, and now you have uh, Joe Judge. Which of these coaches has disliked you the most, Dan Duggan? <laughs> oh, boy. That is a uh, distinguished group, and I'm sure you get them in a room, and that would be an interesting discussion. Um, McAdoo, hated, McAdoo hated that you would just pound him on 11 personnel. He ran the same personnel all the time. <laughs> yeah. Shermer, yeah. I think you boycotted at one point from asking I, yeah, questions I, for, like, was that a month or two? Yeah, it was about a month or two in the 2018 season where he just basically told us, like, I'm I'm just not going to tell you guys the truth. Or, or you know, it was some weird thing with, I think, Laletta. Or, yeah, he just was so dismissive. And I said, well, what, what's the point then if you're just not going to answer the questions? <laughs> I think Judge – I don't think Judge hates me yet. I mean, it's still early. No, no, no. I, mean, Judge, I just threw Judge in. I mean, he's yeah. – I would say he's they, definitely not in the in the running. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't lost a game yet. They haven't questioned, like, a third down play call yet, though, so that, that could change. But <laughs> I got to I gotta go back to – I would say Kyle Flood. There was there was a lot, and any of your listeners who are Rutgers fans, I was covering them during that 2015 season where, like, I mean, if you think the Giants have had some drama the past couple of years, it, it, nothing compared to, to what Rutgers <laughs> had that season. You had a, a coach meeting a professor at, at Princeton and trying to get grades changed. You had the entire defensive backfield getting arrested on various felony charges. I mean, that was a wild season. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that era did not go very well, and I'm sure Kyle doesn't really – um, you know, hold warm feelings to the reporters who were, were documenting it. So I guess you don't you don't call up Kyle just to chat every once in a while. That's not. Yeah, I wasn't. Happening. I wasn't getting a, a Jedrick. Wh- He's at the Alabama. He's the line coach there now. He landed on his feet pretty well. Uh, but I'm right. not getting uh, that the other day. I'm not getting insight on Jedrick Wills leading up to the draft this year from uh, from my old buddy Kyle. No. <laughs> Your most memorable moment covering the Giants has been. Oh boy, that is a. Interesting question. <laughs> There's been so many. Uh, I mean, I think that day when they announced Gino was going to start, that was pretty wild. I mean, I think we were sitting in the oh, press yeah. room, and then the email came out, and it almost, you had to double, triple take. Like, is this a joke? Like, like I didn't even tweet it at first. I waited to see someone else tweet it. I, I think it like... was Tom Rock sitting in the room, the news air reporter, who said, is this for real? Yeah. The funny part is somebody told me earlier in the day about it. But and I, but it, it sounded so ridiculous that we I didn't even move on it and like, and then when I heard that I knew immediately what it was and I was like oh shoot, like the yeah. second he said that like I I knew it he said I I said he said is this for real I remember that and I didn't even look and I'm like oh my god I can't believe yeah so it didn't I mean, make I got, yeah I mean so I mean if I rack my brand there's, there's others but that that's that was a pretty dramatic moment then you had the next day Don Mara came Mara. Into the room. that was the next day yeah. or that day it might have been the next day because it blown up so much that he had to kind of come to damage control and he never comes to the media room like impromptu session with him I mean that was that was a wild wild week so I, I, I don't think know if that, that damage probably... control worked well either <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it, it was... just made us even more perplexed like there was so many was... holes in that story like what the heck yeah, that so yeah, and yeah, now more I think about no, I don't think anything's gonna top that as, as I as I kind of trace my memory. That was that was an absolutely wild week, and uh, yeah, so that one, that one kind of takes the cake. So you know, maybe someday I'll have some 
some playoff wins to throw into the memory bank, but mostly right now I'm just trying to think <laughs> of like crazy dramatic scenarios that played out. Hey, 2016 went pretty well. It did. It did until uh, we got to Green Bay and you were puking in the parking lot. That wasn't a good sign for the, yeah. uh, the, the <laughs> product on the field that day. That was someday. Guys running around without their shirts off pregame and then Odell punches <laughs> a hole in the wall afterwards. And that's, uh, that was an all-timer. And not to hang you out the dry, you had, you had food poisoning. It wasn't as if you uh, enjoyed your Saturday night too much. I don't want to leave that on the record. Hey, <laughs> I think <laughs> I don't think anybody cares. So they'll, they'll still say, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> wasn't food poisoning. Uh, so favorite interview in the Giants locker room since you've been in 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 the in this job. Whew, that's another going. I because you go there's a lot of like kind of lower level guys that are just really good dudes. But if you're talking about you know, sort of a guy that people like, you know, really wanted to read, uh, which is sort of the point. Landon Collins, I, I mean, he was, I think it's funny. I, I, I'm sure I, thought, I knew you were going to go there. I had a feeling you were going <laughs> to go there. I'm sure fans kind of picked up on the fact that the beat was like in mourning after he, uh, you know, walked away. And, and it wasn't because like he was like a source or, I mean, I can't speak for you know anybody else. It was just that he was real. Like, and that's what I think rubs people wrong now when he's asked about the Giants, he, you know, he tells his true feelings. And it's funny. And I feel like in the media and fans, we always say, oh, these guys do is say cliches, and then when they tell you the truth, you're like, what's he doing? Why is he saying that? That's so controversial. But yeah, I'm definitely well, I mean, Rex, Rex Ryan told the truth, and he was, he was an idiot for it, right? Think about it. <laughs> I want to beat Belichick, Bill Belichick. I want to smash them. I want to I own them. Like, uh, doesn't everyone who's going against him want to do that? Right, right. But if you so, say it, you're, you know, you just, it's, not, it's not right. Now, I, I get right. why you don't want to, but Landon Collins is kind of in that same category. He wouldn't. Right. He wouldn't be shy to talk about, you know, what the organization was doing wrong or or, or opponents. Yeah, yeah. And I remember he gave me a detailed scouting report before they played Philly about how he, you know, would cover Zach Ertz, which was that was <laughs> that was an interesting uh, strategy on his part to, to <laughs> disclose that. And it obviously it didn't go that well because you know, his struggles and coverage have been well documented. But but no, I mean, in a more serious note. I mean, look, we just want guys who are going to be accountable. Don't be the guy who, after you have a great game, is front and center's locker, but you're on a three-game losing streak and you're hiding in the trainer's room. Landon Collins was, you know, an all-pro player, and he was there every single day at his locker room. He'd talk to the scrum. He'd talk to you one-on-one. Things were good. Things were bad. He'd give you an honest assessment. And so that – I just respect that. And I think that's, yeah, you know, that's point. part of the job. And, and not every guy does it. And, you know, listen, some people's personalities like that. Landon's a pretty social guy. But I just, I just respect that. I mean, he was, you know, he was a captain and, and things were going pretty bad in some of his seasons and he just faced the music and addressed things head on. And, and I think that's really all we can ask for from these guys. Yeah. Justin Tuck was a lot like that. I mean, not, not, he wasn't, you know, he was a little more selective with what exactly he said, but he was so accountable. Like if something bad happened, he was there. He, if something happened in the locker room as a captain, he was there to talk about it. If something happened big picture, he was there to talk about it. And it's, as a reporter, you, you so respect that, and it's, it's such a huge thing for you. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I'll, I'll leave you with just – I'll open the window and say, Dan, here's like a freebie. I'll toss up a softball, okay? <laughs> this will be like the Jordan on the beat. You hear you – can, you can tell your most memorable or uh, funniest story about me and uh, working, working near and alongside me o- over these last few years. So – here you go. Go ahead. Rip, rip away. <laughs> oh, boy. This is probably the toughest question of the podcast. I'm, yeah, sure, really. I'm sure you have, like, a whole bag full of stuff that, like, deep down you can, you can throw out there. Now, you, now you're going <laughs> through your head. I'm giving you time. I'm, 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 I'm stalling for you here. So you can kind of, 
So you kind of debate in your own head which ones you want to let out of the bag or what, what maybe is not, uh, you know, uh, appropriate for this uh, podcast. But here you go, Dan. The floor is open. Yeah, and I appreciate the stalling there because I am definitely trying to play through some things. You know, we spend a lot of time together, you know, and, and then you're on the road. Uh, so certainly got to keep some things <laughs> off, off the podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of something that kind of fits in that sweet spot here. I mean, I, I might just take the obvious easy one. I mean, the, the infamous Eric Flowers push. Um, <laughs> Just because, I mean, why don't you tell? Why don't you tell? Since you're here, why don't you tell your version that Dan Duggan was the one who reported on the uh, Eric Flowers push? So tell your perspective of how that went down, and afterwards how you came up to me in the press box and everything. (laughs) Yeah, so that was wild. That was like week maybe five of that uh, 2016 season. It was early in the year. Sunday night game, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, and they they lost. I remember Odell had like a touchdown catch late, but Flowers had a bad game. Really bad game and a couple holds, a couple sacks. Um, but so the Green Bay locker room, yeah. And I, I, I think you've probably told this. You've probably told the story on the podcast. I'm a listener, but um, I'll, I'll give my version of it real quick. Just the way the Green Bay locker room was set up was very bizarre. Usually they're just big open rooms, but you know the road locker room in an old stadium, um, they had like kind of makeshift rows. So it's kind of like the offense was in one row. There were sort of some guys scattered in the middle, and the defense was on the third row, and you really couldn't see the other rows. You know, whichever one you were in. So some of the big offensive guys spoke and then everyone went to the defensive side. And, and I think we, you know, I was working with James Scratch. So we had two people. So I was able to hang back. I, I saw flowers. He was talking to just like one other reporter. So I went over and, you know, just, it was very just generic. Like, you know, you know what happened tonight? Like, you know, just very simple, like gently asking like, why was you know, so bad? Um, and then you, you kind of ambled over and I, you know, I didn't really know that you guys may had a little bit of history or, you know, whatever it was, but. We didn't, um, though. That was the that was the thing. He, he, well, he clearly, had, in, he, in, in, in his, his inside <laughs> him, he we had history. Yeah. So I mean, again, I, you know, you probably give him the blow by blow, but so you came over and you didn't even ask any questions. He wasn't really even facing you. He just saw you and, and just immediately objected to your presence. Let's say, <laughs> and, and it went back and forth. And the funny part is, that, and I know you find it it's funny. I had my recorder running, so I was able to like give an absolute accurate description after the fact. It wasn't like you know trying to mem- remember just you know off my memory. And uh, so it escalated a little bit. And, you know, I think you handled it as well as you could. You're just like, listen, I'm trying to do my job. And, and he just wasn't having that. And then so finally he just he gave you the, the shove heard around the world. And, uh, I, you know, maybe it says – I don't know if it says more about you or him. You didn't go down. That was good. You, you know, back a few steps. I think uh, had he put a little more force into it, I don't, I don't know if you'd still be standing. Cause, yeah, it was a uh, brick was wall back there. I definitely could have been put through the brick wall. <laughs> if he really <laughs> wanted was, to. If he really yeah, wanted it was, to, yeah. So it was a one, you know, one-handed shove just to, you know, get his message across. But I'm sitting there, and you would think in an NFL locker room, like, how is there not, like, a million cameras catching this, a million other, like, reporters? And it was just me and this other guy who was, like, a stringer from Green Bay. So I'm like, what the hell do I do with what I just saw? And, and I, you know, you didn't, you know, I don't even really know you where you went after that. And I kind of huddled up with Cratch, and it's a hilarious scene. And no one will know this, but in Green Bay, there's, like, a catwalk to get back and forth between the locker room and the press box. And we walked back and forth on like three different times. Like, oh, let's just go back to the press room and write it. And I'm like, well, no, I got to go back to the uh, locker room to try and, you know, get the Giants PR staff. And I'm like, no, no, let's just go back and try and get Jordan. Like, I was just walking back and forth trying to figure out how to play. It's like my <laughs> fifth NFL game I've covered. So finally, you know, I go back and, you know, tell the Giants that, you know, they made comment at the, at the time. And uh, so I have to go up to the press box and I have to write it, you know, like a, a news account. Because that was one of the things I weighed. Like, is this news? But it's like, man, if, if cameras caught it, it'd be news. So, so why should this be any different? 
Um, but so then I had to ask you for a comment and that was, that was pretty funny. And, you know, and then I think after I posted, I think I, I said, no, I'm not, I think I said no comment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to comment. But I was so, expected not to comment. I think. Just, yeah. And, and, and so listen, I mean, at the same time, it's an awkward thing, but it's still a scoop for me. I'm going to get this up there and everyone's going to click my story. Cause you, especially you said you weren't writing it. So once I hit, you know, tweet on the, on the link, you know, everyone in the press box, like, whoa, whoa. And I think Bob Glober, like, asked you, hey, Jordan, you got to comment. That is true. Bob definitely said that. And everybody was laughing. I'm like, I'm good over here. <laughs> yeah, that was his, his uh, in-depth uh, interview was just yelling across the press box. But no, so that was absolutely wild. Um, you know, I, I think you handled it, you know, well. I, I think when reporters, you know, quote, unquote, become the story, it, it makes it worse. Like, if you had, you know, gotten a soapbox and called them out, I, I think that would have, probably backfired within the locker room or whatever. So I think you just kind of said, you know, no big deal. And you kind of just kept it moving. Um, but it definitely put me in an awkward spot. Cause like I said, it was like my fifth NFL game. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in locker rooms though forever, had never seen anything remotely close to a player. You know, putting how about on. when, how about when me and you then had to go meet with the slappy NFL security? <laughs> <laughs> I lost a lot of faith in the NFL investigation, uh, <laughs> system after that process. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so then, we, so then I had to come back from that, and, and I had to tell James Cratch, you know, like, according to a leaked source, the NFL, like, you know, had investigators on site to uh, look into the Eric Flowers thing. I don't even remember what happened, and he got he got fined. But they, they weren't exactly looking to, to prosecute to the full extent of the law when, when they came into East Rutherford that day. I was like a guy, that was like a guy off the street who just came in here, just ask, <laughs> just ask these three basic questions, okay, and pretend, yeah, like, they, you know, and pretend like you care, and like, it's like, shirts untucked and like (laughs) (laughs) those guys got some Marriott points and and went all the way back to the league office or whatever but no it was uh yeah it was so yeah that I mean again I'll probably think of funnier stories or or more off you know off the record stories but as far as when I think of of covering this beat alongside you that was uh absolutely the most memorable that was uh quite a wild experience and to, to both of our credit neither one of us has been uh physically assaulted by a player since so we're 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 doing all right I will say it, not that, not that some players have not wanted to do that. Oh, oh, Eli, I mean, Eli, Eli Apple. <laughs> yeah, David Harrison probably wouldn't give us a handshake if he saw us either. But we, oh yeah, there's another one. There's another one. <laughs> All right, before, before we go overboard, we better cut this off, okay? <laughs> That's a great, great call. Maybe five minutes ago we should have done that, but yeah, great call. <laughs> on to the next one. Okay, let's end on that. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, make sure, tell your friends, subscribe. We're available really on almost all podcast platforms. You can find Breaking Big Blue. And you know where to find me, Jordan Ronan. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. Send me your questions. I'll do my best to answer them. We'll have another Giants After Dark before the season starts. So we're talking about just over a week when the Giants are playing at home on Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And guess what? I think they're going to win that game. I do. We'll get more into that throughout the week. But that's it for this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time.